The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about a warning. Government can be harmful to your health. And I must say, although this isn't the only thing we're going to be talking about, it does seem rather relevant to be talking about this today when apparently Obama is going to be making his speech tonight and more than half of the country is against Obamacare, although they don't even know the half of it of what, what that is going to be bringing down, what that's going to be meaning uh, for their own health. Um, very scary. Um, this is what happens when politicians instead of doctors make policies about your health. So your life is in danger, you know. <laughs> Not to, you know, when I was went, I have a master's in public health, and when I was going to, I went to UCLA for it. And um, one of the things they ta- taught us was, uh, don't scare people. <laughs> if you're trying to give a public health message, don't scare them because they'll then turn off to the rest of it. I obviously didn't learn this very well, but um, we're going. If you just hang on a little bit. Um, you're going to have a solution. It's not just about scaring you, but it's about uh, informing you and giving you a history of all the things. This didn't just start with Obamacare. We're going to be giving you, my guest is going to be giving you, a history of some of the things that have been happening to people in America um, when the government has been making policies instead of doctors. And so you'll see how it's just gotten worse and worse and worse as time has gone by. But undoubtedly, she will also be giving you some suggestions about what you can do about it to protect yourself and the people you care about. My guest is Marilyn Singleton. She is an, an MD and a JD. She's an anesthesiologist and a professor and board member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. So Marilyn, welcome to the show. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, this, I mean, it is kind of, um, this is a perfect day to be, well, every day is a perfect day to be talking about this, but especially tonight when we are undoubtedly going to be hearing some scary news uh, couched in all kinds of benevolent terms tonight from Obama um, in his speech. Uh, but, but as I was saying, we're not just going to be talking about Obamacare, ranting about that. <laughs> You know, I've been ranting about Obamacare for quite a while. I mean, people who go through the archives of my show can see that I started this, you know, way back when it first um, came on the scene. And I think that a lot of people didn't want to believe how bad it was going to be. But more and more as time is going by, um, people are beginning to hear little things. You know, nobody's, not many people, including myself, has has read the thousands of pages in the in the um, Affordable Care Act, 
But the things that we do know about it, as more and more things are coming out, they are incredibly frightening. You know, some of the things that, that Obama had denied was part of it, like um, being able to, that you would still be able to keep your own doctor and your own health insurance and all of that. Um, you know, people are now seeing that those were blatant lies. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you that in a way it was good that there was such a statement, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, period, because it lets people know that it was just another sound bite to try to get people on board to something that if they knew the details or even the broad strokes, they would not be on board. And now we're all seeing the uh, so-called benefits. And I'll tell you, and I, and I look at you as a psychiatrist, that you must be quaking in your boots. I feel one of the biggest issues in the whole law is the loss of privacy. Oh, loss well, yes. Privacy and choice. And I was trying to imagine myself sitting in a psychiatrist or psychologist or any sort of counselor's office telling my deepest, darkest secrets while you're behind a computer busily <laughs> typing away. <laughs> he has been putting it on the Internet. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, what's wrong with this picture? Do you really think people will trust you and feel like they can talk to you and reveal I, what they need to in order for you to be able to help them? Absolutely not. But I, especially people who, you know, um, who have some violent thoughts, um, are they going to tell people, you know, tell a psychiatrist about that? I mean, it's scary enough to do that when there wasn't this whole thing about putting these things on the Internet. No, I have a, I have a plan B. <laughs> I'm not going to be putting my patients' deepest secrets on the Internet. I decided there wasn't, I was going to change and be a love coach. <laughs> if, they really, if that really goes through, and so far, you know, it, it, ha- it isn't the date where it's like absolutely that you're supposed to do it. I mean, I'm not doing it now, and I'm hoping that, that um, reason will prevail and this whole system will still go away. But um, I'm going to just change and, and um, you know, call myself a love coach and, or a life coach, a life and love coach. There we go. And I get out of the whole obligation to do that. Well, isn't it sad that you could do something that doesn't even require a license yes. to do and not have all this government yes, regulation yes. and do more good for people. Yes, it, it, it is very, very scary. Um, and, you know, one of the things that bothers me the most, it, well, I mean, so much, I don't know the most, but one of the things that I've been noticing and thinking about lately as I'm hearing more um, ads and, you know, on the television and the radio and hearing about uh, all these different things that uh, Obamacare people are going, are doing to promote Obamacare to, like, going to college campuses, I mean, trying to get um, younger people to be on it so that it, they can pay for the older people. Uh, you know, first of all, it, why, why are they figuring this out now? Why didn't they do any market research studies before they, they voted on this to see whether what ages were going to be going for it, you know, would join it, what, what, uh, what de- the demographics of the people who would be willing to do it? Well, I'll tell you, doctor, I don't think it would have taken any market research from MBAs, common sense, 
and what was already going on, the fact that young people didn't buy health care in the first place, yes. and why would a $95 penalty make you buy health insurance that costs $4,500 when you know that you'd be treated if you got sick, whether yes. you had health insurance or not? Yes, yes. You tell me. That Absolutely. just doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. I, I know. And all the money that's being spent on 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 these ads like i mean who's paying for that obviously we are the taxpayers are paying for something that we didn't want in the first place you know to be promoted to people who shouldn't buy it in the second place exactly but this is the problem of big government all these things kind of come back to this central issue of how big is an organization where it ceases to function properly mm-hmm. and certainly people in business have developed all these models for the ideal size of a company and how to govern it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And our federal government needs to take a lesson. And you flip back to why we even have the system we have is the idea that the federal government wouldn't get so big and individual states could better run things and certainly marching it all the way down to the local areas. And that's where you have the most efficient government. And Many surveys and studies have shown that people are more satisfied with their local government, and as you go bigger and bigger and bigger, people become less and less satisfied. Mm. And that's because they feel with a local government, you can do something about it, and the people actually have to respond to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. And this yes. whole thing with health care being run like people behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz, that who do you complain to? There's no one. And then your doctors are being led around by the nose because they'll be punished by getting lower payments if they don't start using electronic medical records. And if they don't do this and they don't do that, then they won't get paid. So this is this is not a good thing, and and it's sometimes hard to get that message out because, on the whole, people aren't going to say, "Oh, poor doctors, let's feel sorry for them." But you have to realize if the government starts to do negative things to your physicians, there will be negative outcomes for patients. Like physicians will retire earlier, and you'll lose some of that knowledge that comes from having an older physician or physicians will no longer be in solo practices. And that's the kind of practice that everybody knows and loves, the idealized Marcus Welby. Well, there are Marcus Welbys out there, but not for long. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you probably see this too, that over the last, oh, at least five years, um, there, there's a real disillusionment amongst doctors, depression, um, you know, a feeling this isn't what I signed up for. Um, y- you know, I mean, between all of them, I mean, even before Obamacare um, is implemented more and more, I mean, you know, uh, it was coming down the pike. And even before that, with all the other programs that um, – where doctors were for even just the insurance companies. I mean, we, we talk about, we were talking before, before the air about the state of psychiatry. 
Um, the state of psychiatry, it has never been as bad. I have never seen it as bad as it is now in the sense that, um, well, first of all, <laughs> You know, we have more people going crazy and shooting out malls and, and, uh, I mean, besides terrorism and so on, the, the lone, uh, homegrown terrorists, um, that, that could have gotten help, um, and the people who are just, you know, shooting at the malls, shooting their family for all various reasons, partly the economy, and just, just because, largely because people aren't getting help when they need it. Um, but the standard psychiatry, you know, years ago even it started with insurance companies um, not paying, not wanting to pay psychiatrists, not wanting to pay MDs to do therapy, and and so more and more um, the the this pushed psychiatrists, not me, but too many of my colleagues into uh, being the pill pushers and allowing the psychologists and social workers and MFCCs to be the ones doing therapy. And that has had incredibly terrible results with people getting caught in between the cracks and not getting care. We're going to need to, be, to take a break. My guest is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She's also a JD and an anesthesiologist. We're talking today about um, giving you a warning how the government can be harmful to your health. We're going to be talking about how this historically has been happening and bringing it up to the present with Obamacare. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about how the government can be harmful to your health. Uh, warning you with my guest, Marilyn Singleton. She's an MD and a JD an anesthesiologist, a professor, and a board member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Um, I'll just rant a, for a few minutes more about psychiatry, and then we'll go back to, because Marilyn is going to be able to give you a history of, about decisions that the government has made going, going way back, things like sterilization, experimental vaccines, tests of biological warfare, drug studies, 
and so-called evidence-based medicine, which is actually based upon political agendas. So we'll be talking about how these things have caused uh, more Americans to get sick and to die than people are aware of. Um, I was talking about psychiatry and how people are falling between the cracks and um, uh, about because of this of, of insurance companies starting this uh, discrepancy in payment, figuring that they can pay a psychologist or a social worker less money to do therapy with a patient than they can pay a psychiatrist who's gone to medical school, except for the fact that that's kind of the point that in most cases, um, I mean, it depends. I, I'm not going to say that. I, I mean, I'm not going to say anything bad about psychologists and social workers, but, but um, psychiatrists have gone to medical school and go to a psychiatry residency, and overall have much, many more years of training and experience, and so on. And for certain, not for every kind of problem, obviously, but for certain problems, um, it is important to go to a psychiatrist rather than another mental health professional. And um, yes, psychiatrists are the only ones who can prescribe medic psychiatric, well, are the only ones compared to psychologists and social workers and MFCCs who are doctors and who can provide uh, and prescribe medication. Um, and, of course, there's the old, whole other part of it where GPs, family doctors, are, are <laughs> prescribing psychiatric medications, and that really gets people in danger. I see more people coming to me after they've been given the latest popular drug that their um, family doctor has been talked into by the latest pharmaceutical representative, and it really, it really wreaks havoc on their lives. So it's a very sad story, and I am really enraged at my fellow psychiatrists for um, for just becoming puppets, for falling into this. I mean, yes, everybody has to make a living, but you don't have to give up um, doing what you know is right, which is that if somebody needs medication, instead of doing medication visits for 20 minutes once a month or once every three months, you need to also see them in psychotherapy. Um, because medication alone does not cure anybody of any psychological problem. So I know I'd go on these rants every once in a while, but I just I try to get the word out because you know people still don't know. They think that it's okay if I go and see a psychiatrist once every three months, get a prescription, I'll, I'll my whatever it is that my problem is will go away. Well, that's not that's, a medication is just a band aid that helps temporarily, or maybe or some people need it forever, but. The idea is to get to the root of the problem. So I will stop talking now about that. It's just that this is, it's just that this is, we're seeing the effects of this now more as more people are going crazy in public and having, um, devastating consequences not only for themselves but the people who get caught up in their shooting sprees. So Marilyn, I'll shut up now. I'm sorry. Oh. You brought up before the before we got on the air, you were talking about the closure of the psychiatric hospitals, which is another example of a governmental decision that um that has is still having horrible consequences. Well we look at here in San Francisco it became quite clear that a large population of the homeless were schizophrenics who had been released from the mental hospitals and there was really no backup. There was no place for them to go. And, but this happens so many times that one program has 
unintended consequences that were never looked at, that people were so intent on whatever that, we've got to do this now, and this is the policy right this minute. Well, let's look two steps beyond, and let's see what happens after we do this. And the same with the health care law has many unintended consequences. And, and going back to you talking about popping someone on a pill when they have some mental issues, I think about the biggest consequence is the loss of that sense that you can tell your doctor anything, whether it be your family doctor or not, and actually have some time in the office to discuss things with your physician and not feel like you're just waved off after 10 minutes. Well, this is one of the consequences. Doctor visits will get shorter, and doctor visits may be with who knows who that might not even be a physician. Right, right. There's more and more use of physician's assistants and and, um, nurse practitioners and people who don't have the kind of training that, that a doctor does, whatever their specialty. And I think that sense that a patient gets that they've been palmed off on somebody is not a good way to have a relationship. And every patient needs to feel special because they are special. And I hate to see that eroded. Yes, and the kinds of things that doctors really need to know about, I'm not talking about psychiatrists, but just in general, let's say family doctors, in order to prevent problems or in order to figure out a diagnosis, you need to have a long chat and so that you can tell your doctor about your lifestyle. I mean, there may be things that, that you're doing um, that you don't realize is, um, is contributing to some, some disease that you have or problem that you have. And if you don't have the time to tell your doctor about it, how is he going to know? And so many of these things truly come up in what you might even consider casual conversation right. or, or what the patient sees as... It's almost like hiding the ball until the very end and then the right. last 30 seconds of the yes. visit, that's when you get the zinger. Yes, and by the way, do you think it has any impact if I'm doing such and such? Do you think that <laughs> that could have any effect on this? <laughs> yes, <laughs> or even to feel comfortable enough to reveal whatever it is that, um, that you want to tell them. Yes, and the thing is, and it doesn't even have to be that personal, I have to tell you one funny one that happened to me when I was doing a pre-op visit on an elderly gentleman for some cataracts, and I asked him what medications he took, and he was very proud that he didn't take anything except that he took one Tylenol a day, and I said, why do you take one Tylenol a day? He said, well, my doctor told me to take one aspirin a day, and I'm allergic to aspirin, so I just took Tylenol. (laughs) Oh, God. Not realizing that it has totally different uh, constituents, and it's not the Tylenol that's supposed to happen. (laughs) But these are the things you need time to learn and time to chat. But yes, because he could be, you know, Tylenol has can have, if you're taking it that long, <laughs> um, very negative impact on, on your, your liver. My yes, goodness. yes. So, well, back to the government. I, when I was in law school, one of the cases that I had read really had an impact on me and got me thinking about what business does the government have in medicine? This is back in the 1920s, and 
even on the wall of our law school, there's a big quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he's just considered to be one of the greatest justices that we've ever had on the Supreme Court and just a household name. But he decided a case called Buck v. Bell. That is, it's one of those things that's worth looking up on Wikipedia and reading about it because it's such an interesting case. Many states at that time had laws that said that people who had been hospitalized in a mental institution for feeble-mindedness that had a very broad definition, and which included it could, you could just be poor and not have any money to take care of yourself and be considered feeble-minded, mm-hmm. that once you had a child, you had to be sterilized. So Carrie Buck had had a child, and they wanted to sterilize her, so uh, she decided to sue. And the case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and Oliver Wendell Holmes decided, because her mother was a prostitute, and she'd had a baby that no doubt would also be feeble-minded, upheld the sterilization laws saying three generations of imbeciles are enough. And as it turned out, this woman was released. She had a job. Her child did well in school. And this is the government at work. And this is something that was painted in such broad strokes. And perhaps there are some people that one might say, well, let's discuss making sure that they don't have children. But to have this sort of opinion about everyone in a mental institution is the sort of thing that can happen when you get the government involved in making these decisions. And here in this case, it was the Supreme Court who decided that everyone could be sterilized. Yes, it's hard to believe that something like this could, even starting back then, Mm-hmm. And presumably, it was. It, how did it? How how did it get repealed or changed or over time? And because it actually took a while, and it wasn't until gee, way into the early '60s that in some states that these laws were repealed. Mm-hmm. That the yes, and and that's one of those things that it, and it takes more and more people who find a lawyer or there's somebody who takes up their cause to actually fight this. And as you can imagine, that people who are in mental institutions, generally speaking, don't have the wherewithal or anyone on their side to pursue something like this. So that was one piece of our history and one of the reasons that it was allowed to stand at that whole time in the 20s. That was quite the eugenics movement and trying to find perfect people and all that. And it was quite a big movement, even in the United States. And people think of Nazism and Hitler, yeah. but the eugenics movement uh, had a lot of followers. So, um, And then one of the other things that was certainly a study that many people heard about, uh, may, perhaps thanks to a movie that shows sometime this year when it's Black History Month called Miss Evers' Boys, is about the Tuskegee syphilis study. This was a U.S. government public health service study that had 400 mainly poor black folks who were known to have syphilis 
They were told they had, quote-unquote, bad blood, but not that they had a devastating treatable disease. And the doctors continued to see them over the years, giving them no treatment. They Mm -hmm. all died of syphilis, but the government did what it set out to do. They wanted to track the natural progression of the disease. Uh, you know, it, it, these things make your hair stand on end that this could happen in our country. And it's so important to know these, this, these historical cases because, you know, it puts what's happening today in context. I mean, now we, it's, it's hard to think these things happened. And then, but when you understand that they did, you understand what's happening now better. And well, we need Carol, this didn't end until 1972. <laughs> so we aren't talking the dark ages. Yes, yes. Well, we need to take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of these uh, stories from the dark side. (laughs) Um, My guest is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She is an MD and a JD and an anesthesiologist. We're talking about uh, a warning. Government can be harmful to your health. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest today, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, uh, MD and JD, and we're talking about uh, can, can the government be harmful to your health and yes, it is. So today's a warning. We were talking about uh, some examples of this. Uh, the government, the Supreme Court, deciding on sterilization for feebleness, which, by the way, is no longer a psychiatric diagnosis. <laughs> um, and feeble-mindedness, and uh, about letting people die from syphilis rather than uh, treating them to in order to see the natural co- course of the illness. Um, and Dr. Singleton has some more examples of these things that the government have, has really done. And you can, she was just talking about how, you know, you can really find these. It's not like <laughs> this isn't a fairy tale. These things are in, are in governmental websites when they've been finally made to admit what they did uh, in these cases. So tell us about what, one of the things that's particularly controversial these days, and it's so interesting, um, 
that more and more people seem to be afraid of vaccinating their children. You know, that used to be immunizing their children. That used to be sort of just a common thing that you need to do, and a lot of schools um, require that. And um, But there is this history of the government uh, having made people take vaccines that, were, that they didn't tell them were experimental. So tell us about that. Well, that in 1989, this was quite a big story, uh, and this occurred right in Los Angeles. The Centers for Disease Control wanted to test a study when there were a lot of big measles outbreak had occurred there, and there was a vaccine that apparently worked faster, but it had not been tested here in the United States. And 1,500 six-month-old black and Hispanic babies, that's where the biggest outbreak was, were given this experimental vaccine. The parents never knew, and it was only about seven years later that the CDC came clean and let everyone know, no, the parents were never informed it was experimental. Now, here's the case now. No children died, thank goodness, or got encephalitis and some of the various side effects. But the concept that you could just use these children mm. basically as lab animals and not have the parents even know. Mm-hmm. And, and this is part of the pulling the wool over your eyes. Again, that can happen. Well, the government sweeps in and does something and... For so long, we just assume they're doing the right thing. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, it's interesting how the government um, chooses populations. I mean, okay, you were saying that, that those were the, um, it was more prevalent, the measles were more, more prevalent in the um, black and Hispanic population at that time. But, I mean, I think the government is choosing populations that are poor or feeble or, you know, less likely to... Uh, to fight back. That's right. The vulnerable uh, are the ones that get used. Let's face it, that's just the way it is. And certainly we're seeing that in medicine, that the elderly are the most vulnerable, and they're kind of getting the shaft as well. So we just, we just have to watch out and ask questions. And this is one of the reasons that certainly, you know, the government did an awful study that they had to apologize to the country of Guatemala. They did a similar thing where they tested drugs on Guatemalans. And it's sort of like, well, they can't speak the language, so we'll just do whatever we want to do. And this is just plain wrong. And it's a mindset that... We can't get complacent and say, oh, well, I'm sitting here fat and happy. It didn't happen to me. Well, it could be you, and you don't like this attitude that we're just treated as pawns or since we're not part of the ruling elite that it's okay, they can do whatever they want, and that's just a bad attitude for the government to have. Well, and it is happening to everybody because, like, to go to another thing that you talk about, evidence-based medicine, um, you know, some things came out not that long ago about uh, studies that supposedly show that it's okay for women to not have mammograms every year. They should have them every two years or every three years or every five years. <laughs> and same thing with prostate, um, about how, you know, some, uh, some men don't need to have treatment, aggressive treatment. I mean, this stuff is, and people believe this stuff. And this is 
what is so bothersome because they do believe it and you have physicians believing it because they're very busy and they don't have time to go back to the original research. And what is so disturbing is that there have been multiple studies and there's a group, it's the Cochrane Group, and they're considered the gold standard of doing analyses of multiple studies and trying to pull all the data together and get rid of the bad data, pull the good data. And they did a study that showed that if a experimental study was sponsored by a drug company, it was more likely to report favorable results than if it wasn't sponsored by the industry. And even in straight academic studies, positive results are more likely to be published. Yes, which of course makes sense because, you know, they want things that are going to be interesting to their readers. So if something seems to have a, a specific outcome or result, um, that's more interesting than saying we did all this. <laughs> it didn't have any effect at all. But um, but what what does that do? It makes the researchers, you know, come up with something positive. That's right, and the sad part is, is if you walk in with a theory, and this is a problem in research, and indeed the NIH has a whole uh, little school on doing research and how you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to do, and not let your theory influence you, and et cetera, et cetera, but people are only human, and they want their theory to be proven correct, and there was... um, study done a couple of years ago where someone analyzed 18 different surveys sent out by multiple groups of people. So all different kinds of organizations sent the surveys out. And of course, they were anonymous. And 34% of researchers admitted to so-called questionable research practices. Now, that's an astounding number. Yes. And you always figure if that many admit to it, even though it was anonymous, <laughs> there's still some people who <laughs> have yes. done something and won't admit to it. Yes, absolutely. And what about the people who were doing it unconsciously and they think they were just fine? But, you know, the things like like what I was talking about with telling people you don't need mammograms as often as uh, had been the, the um, re- re- suggested amount, frequency, um, or even prostate, not to treat everybody. Why do they? Why does the government come out with these kinds of studies? It's to save money for the government. I Absolutely. mean, there are reasons for these things. It's not because you really don't need to treat prostate cancer or you really don't need to have a mammogram. Um, it's so that the government doesn't have to pay for it. Exactly. Well, just recently, and this is really, really bothersome to me, Medicare is going to come out for some new rules for Part D, that's the prescription drug program, that says if you're prescribed a drug from a doctor who does not take Medicare, Medicare will not pay for that drug. They're also going to limit the number of medications that are on their antidepressant formulary and the number of medications that are on their immunosuppressant formulary. Wow. Yes, and this rule will go into effect March 7th. And usually what happens is they propose these rules and they have to put out a request for comments. Of course, 
whoever sees that, no one, mm-hmm. unless you're somebody who just sits there and runs through the Federal Register to <laughs> see what new rules are coming yeah. out. Well, when they pop out with about 20,000 pages every month, and that's just in medicine, that you're not going to see these rules. And then they ask people to write comments about them. No one does, or there will be a handful of comments. The rule automatically goes into place, and voila, come April, there's somebody who's been getting a drug, it's been paid for for all these years, and guess what? They're going to get a letter saying it's not going to be paid for anymore. Wow. That's, oh, that is just really, I mean, it's, it's, it's a way, first of all, besides saving money, it's a way and killing off people who need these drugs. Um, it's a way of trying to coerce doctors into taking Medicare. That, and that's exactly right, because there's plenty of doctors that will see Medicare patients and charge them for a visit, and patients are welcome to do outside contracting with doctors and just see them on a day-to-day right. visit. And many patients like that because mm-hmm. they can make whatever arrangement they want with their physician. Mm-hmm. And so this has been going on for years. And last year, well, year before last, that's the last year there's statistics for, about 10,000 doctors dropped out of Medicare and probably more dropped out this year is the guess this last year. So it's quite clear what you said is absolutely correct. This is making it so the patient will either have to go to a Medicare doctor or have the doctors have to rejoin Medicare. And clearly it's not going to save any money. Medicare was saving money by having the patient pay out of their own pocket. Mm. So it's a form of control rather than truly trying to save money for the program. It's it's really, um, I mean, you know, and, and then, of course, um, same thing, well, yes, you, like cancer, I mean, immunosuppressants, cancer drugs, and so on. Um, I mean, this whole thing of, of the death panels um, that, you know, where Obama is saying, oh, no, there's no such thing as death panels. But you, you talk about, um, let's see, what did you call that? What's the name of the organization that is, doesn't have doctors, but it's, it makes all these rules? What, the Independent Payment Advisory Board? Is that what it's called? Um, the, the, the real name of the death panel? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I guess the thing is that the government doesn't, or Obama at least, doesn't like that there are more and more people living to 100. <laughs> we have to get rid of these suckers before it bleeds us dry. They bleed us dry. Well, so, well, and these are all ways of doing that. Well, the thing that's fascinating to me, and this is what most people don't really get, I think most people don't even understand the regulation process that when a law is passed, that's only the beginning. And regulations are the day-to-day rules, and when you actually read a law, it's in medium broad strokes, and it says what the law is supposed to do. Then for each section of the law, you write a rule. So how will we put this into effect? That's how the contraception mandate came out. The contraception mandate isn't anywhere in the Affordable Care Act, but where it is is a regulation when they said, okay, 
the Affordable Care Act will pay for preventive care without a copay. And then the question becomes, who decides what is preventive care uh-huh. and how much you should get, going back to your breast exams and prostate. So the Secretary of Health and Human Services determined that giving contraceptives for free was preventive care. So they can determine whatever they want preventive care to be. Uh-huh. And this is the problem of regulation. So we never see this. Our congressperson never voted on it. Mm. You just handed over all the responsibility right back to people who work for the president. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that bothers me with this new rule, since there was so much publicity and talk about the death panel and this advisory board making cuts to Medicare, that you look at this new proposed regulation, and it's basically an end run Mm. around that advisory Mm. board. They've now decided which drugs to cut. They've decided not to pay for drugs written by non-Medicare participating doctors. So basically, they've taken over the rationing role. Uh Uh-huh. Well, we need to, uh, well, I just, it, we, we have, people have to wake up about this. In the next segment, um, I, you'll tell people what they can do um, to, to, try to, to try to stem all of this. Um, my guest is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She's an MD and a JD. We're talking to you today about how the government can be harmful to your health. I think I'm, we're giving everybody indigestion or ulcers <laughs> so far, <laughs> but uh, but we, we will be we will close with a uh, uh, an action step. So don't worry about it. Um, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'll have to start saying I'm your life and love coach, (laughs) Carol Lieberman. (laughs) Coach Carol, there we go. Um, 
if I if if it comes to the point where we're being forced to put our records uh, on the internet. I mean, you know, when you think about how Target just got overwhelmed by hackers to get uh, PIN numbers and, you know, credit card numbers and all that, um, how difficult is it going to be for hackers to get medical records? Well, the sad part is already, legally, our medical records will be seen by seven agencies that are participants in the healthcare information hub. Mm. So imagine all the places for leaks. No, thank you is what I say to that. Wow. (laughs) That's, um, yes, that's really scary, too, even before the hackers. I mean, yes, it's like... People are being turned into lab rats in a sense, or just numbers, or, um, you know, we're talk- we hear talk about the privacy being taken away, um, telephone call. I mean, it's like, it- it's really, this is, this is, um, this is the- not America anymore. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, the thing that bothers me, I was talking about being upset about psychiatrists not standing up to the insurance companies and saying, no, we can't treat people with mental illnesses or just psychological problems unless we do therapy and uh, medication for those who need medication, you know, and instead they just became puppets and, and went along with the insurance payment plans. But doctors in general, I mean, do you... I know in your organization, well, tell us about your organization, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. What are they trying to do? Our group's main goal is to keep the patient first, keep the patient-doctor relationship, and keep private practice medicine. We help physicians who want to stay in solo practice, small group practice, not get sucked into the giant mega practices that the hospitals are starting and have tools for doctors who want to opt out of Medicare so they can do it properly and uh, not get in trouble with the government. And um, just generally, we keep our eye on everything that's going on, legislation, new regulations. We write briefs to the Supreme Court on various things. We have one very, we we actually started the case when Hillary Clinton had her health care law and was holding all the meetings in private, and we sued to get those meetings made public Mm. and won. So uh, we're really advocates for patients, doctors, and we do it one-on-one as well as organized legal activity. Well, you know, I, I was going to say it must be frustrating to you, too, that doctors aren't uh, striking, um, that patients aren't uh, creating more of a ruckus. I mean, why are people being – let's start with doctors. Why are doctors – because you deal with this with the organization. I'm sure that, you know, that you try to get more doctors to be aware of these things so that they can join in and help with, with – uh, these kinds of fights. Why are doctors being so apathetic about this? Part of it is that old boiling a frog story. Mm. What, if you do it a little bit at a time, people don't realize they're getting burned. Mm. And the government helps everybody out just enough and make sure that you will be paid enough and you'll have a ready supply of patients. If you take Medicare, there's always going to be some Medicare patients for you. And 
you think about that you spent all those years in medical school, all those years in residency, living like a pauper, and so you're going to go out in private practice. It takes a huge risk to just say no and do a third-party free practice. Many people who have done it couldn't be happier and they're making a wonderful living and have a great life, but it's a very hard thing to do. And when these young fellows and girls get out of school, they're inundated with all the invitations to join this network and that network and this, that, and the other. And so it's a ready source of income. And when you think about it, you've got 250000 plus of student loans to pay off. What are you going to do? You take the ready income. You need to pay those loans off. So there's certainly that human element in there. And as far as patients go, until things get really bad, they're still getting care. It might not be exactly what they want. And fortunately, what we have to remember is most people don't get sick. And Most people never have to go to the hospital. It's only in your lifetime that you have a 17% chance that you're going to go to the hospital other than, you know, your last day of life, but many people don't even go to the hospital for that. So if somebody isn't immediately affected by it, they just kind of don't think about it. And it's, it's one of these things. It's just like preparing for an earthquake or anything else that you do have to think ahead. But one of the things I can say to people who are worried about it is when you're getting a doctor, get personal recommendations and look for doctors who take cash payments. And that's something on our website. We link to various websites that doctors are on where they will actually discuss what the price is before you walk into the office. Never be afraid to speak up. Name your concerns and ask for summaries of your medical visit and ask the doctor how much something is going to cost before you just go running off to get it. Mm-hmm. Because even if insurance pays for it, you're going to be stuck for a copay and it could be a huge amount of money, and it might be something that you don't even want or need. And I'll say the biggest thing is self-prevention, that just take good care of yourself. Yes, that is becoming more and more important. You um, You were wanting to mention something about health savings accounts. Oh, yes. I mean, more and more health savings accounts are what are bringing the cost of medical care down, and over Mm -hmm. the last 10 years, it's increased by 20-some-odd percent the number of people that have health savings accounts, and many jobs offer this. Be sure and ask at your job if that's something they offer, and what this is is money is put away, and you can use this to pay co-pays and deductibles. This was one of the biggest negatives in the Affordable Care Act, is that they put limits on the amount of money that you could put in a health savings account, Mm. where this has been something that it's basically it's like an IRA. It's tax-free money that can go to pay health expenses. Mm. And it's one of those things that made so much sense. Well, let let me, we've kind of run out of time. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that you have time to give the website address of 
the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons? Yes, it's aapsonline.org. 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 Okay, great. Well, I would recommend that you all go to that. Um, it ha- I, I went to the website. It has a lot of interesting things on it. Um, listen to Obama's speech tonight with, uh, with all this in mind. Don't believe the BS. <laughs> Don't believe, uh, you know, what, what is being sold to you. Um, and, and be really very, very careful. You know, you, if, if, if you don't start getting involved, um, in figuring out what you can do and in, in joining organizations that do take action against this, uh, and you're just being apathetic, you're gonna find yourself in, in really hot water, um, when it comes to needing to get the kind of treatment that will keep you keep you well or or treat an illness, I mean, you know, we all don't like to think about getting sick, but it does happen, and we need to make sure that that we doesn't it doesn't make us bankrupt if um, we're trying to save our our own life or the life of someone we love. So, my guest again, thank you very much, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. MD, JD, uh, keep on up the good fight because we need more doctors who are doing this. We need more people who are doing this and to please keep spreading the word. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.